Crazy Damn Canadians, yeah. episode 30. Jillian Roberts, you have had a hell of a couple of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're going to use this episode as an opportunity to okay. talk about that. But before we do so, I just want to say welcome to Crazy Damn Canadians. It's an honor to have mm-hmm. you here. And how did you end up in Prince George? Because you're not originally from Northern BC. No, I'm from London, Ontario, and um, which is in Southern Ontario, about two hours from Toronto. So and, near the border? Um, yeah, it's like, you know, there's that little part of Ontario that comes out the bottom there. It's in there, kind oh, of okay. between like Lake Erie, or Lake Erie and Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, kind of n- nestled in between a couple of Great Lakes there. So awesome. lots, lots of beaches. Is there five around. Great Lakes in total? Is there five? Yeah. I think there's, there's five. five. Yeah. yeah. So then I went to university in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is on another Great Lake, Lake Superior, <laughs> <laughs> up at the top of Ontario. And um, my now husband, he graduated before me and he got a job out here in Prince George doing forestry. So then when I graduated, I was like, okay, that's where I'm moving. Moved to Prince George. We kind of thought maybe we'd live here for a couple years and then we would go find somewhere different if this place didn't quite work for us or suit our needs. And we've just completely fallen in love with it. Been here for eight years now. Love the community. It's absolutely perfect for us and we've just completely fallen in love with it and I, I don't see us leaving anytime soon <laughs> awesome so when you're googling Prince George and yeah. doing your research yeah I hear it's a very very tough place to google because yeah. you actually get Prince George out of the royal family not necessarily right I, away. I didn't experience that um, but when I was googling Prince George not a lot of positive stuff comes up at least it didn't when I was googling it years ago mm-hmm. and so around 2013 yeah or... a lot of crime rates um so i was a little concerned at first but i just kind of thought you know what let's go give it a try and i'm glad i came in with that open mind because i was like i love this place it's great it's you know and it just keeps getting better and better and they're putting so much work into the city and it's it's just i love living here so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you grew up in a very athlete oriented family your, yeah. your parents were into running even owned a store yeah my dad owned a running store when I was little he owns um, a new balance store now um, and then my mom was a marathon runner so before I was born that was like her profession she made a living running marathons for a little while before she then became a teacher and then I'm a teacher too so <laughs> I really do not fall far from the tree <laughs> yeah and you got to witness that from an early age your parents yes. being at different events whether it's yeah. work related or actually as a competitor and right you know you become a product of your environment right? oh I'm a fully a product of my environment because as a kid I was in the stroller at track meets and cross-country meets and as a little kid I was running around the track when my mom was coaching track and cross-country like so I was just fully immersed into that world and then I grew up watching my dad train for master's track and master's cross-country and he's in his 60s now and he still tries to race a little bit sometimes here and there so yeah it took me like until I was maybe 21 22 to beat him in a race finally <laughs> I worked my tail off for that one <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you're also a school teacher so if mm-hmm. you were to look back at your childhood mm-hmm. and and how old are you now I'm 30. You're 30 now. Mm-hmm. And if you were to look back, say, 25, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and just being part of that environment mm-hmm. that's all about body movement and being mm-hmm. active and being mm-hmm. outdoors and setting goals and chasing mm-hmm. those goals and then accomplishing them, mm-hmm. how do you see that with kids today, where it's a very digitally distracted world mm-hmm. that we live in right now, mm-hmm. and a lot of kids and adults are sedentary, and they might mm-hmm. not be 
as excited about mm -hmm. body movement? Do you see, do you notice a difference between kids that might grow up in families that don't have body movement as a mm -hmm. focus compared to, to families yeah. like your own? I think that, I mean, it really depends on the family because I see kids that come from families who are active in the community or are involved in sports or just other extracurricular communities or environments and then those kids are still very invested in those activities. So I think that if families are putting in the effort to get their kids involved in stuff and try different things and just be active, it definitely rubs off for sure because you can see the difference in you know, kids who say they did nothing on the weekend versus kids who say, oh, we did this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, and their parents are getting them out of the house and doing things together, like, cause that kind of stuff sticks. And it definitely stuck with me because I mean, I think that just being involved in that lifestyle of athletics as a kid and watching my parents do it, like I wanted to do that too. And you right. started competing early and you started competing, was it running that you started competing oh, in early? Well, I ran a lot when I was a kid because that was my parents' main sport. Um, and then just because of my own interest, I got into swimming. So my parents weren't swimmers. That was just something I wanted to try. Um, and then because of my running background and then I had, you know, formal swimming training. Then when I was about 19, I decided let's try a triathlon. And I really had to just learn how to bike. And I just didn't have much experience in that before other than just like biking around the block, you know, being a kid. Um, and uh, I went and tried my first triathlon and I was totally fell in love with it. And so was that sprint or Olympic? Distance? I started with the Olympic. Wow. I think most people probably start with the sprint, but yeah. I think because I already had swimming and running background, I figured like that was just my the appropriate challenge level for me and the experience I already had. And, and so the Olympic distance is, is 10, is it's, it? It's um, 1500 meter swim, 40k bike 10k run mm. yeah yeah so, so a nice little stepping stone to the half ironman yeah and then so i did the olympic for a couple of years and then i um started training with a club in ontario a triathlon club and they encouraged me to go try the half ironman and when i tried the half ironman i feel like i kind of fell in love with triathlon all over again <laughs> it was like i was like this is my distance it, I loved it so much. I wanted to just invest more time into it. I was having so much fun doing it. And I like racing, but I also just love to train. And I love being part of an athletic endurance community. I just find the endurance community, they're always so fun and welcoming and they're always just like the happiest people. <laughs> they have like the most endorphins, right? They're yeah. like, they're always just so fun and welcoming and like lovely. Yeah. And, and, and everyone's encouraging each other. Right? Oh, they're totally. And I, and I'm working in that group when I, when I trained with that group in Ontario for a little bit, like I learned so much because you'd be training with these people that have been doing it for years mm -hmm. and you're just watching what they're doing, trying to take it in, trying to learn, asking questions. And everyone's like so eager to teach you everything that they know. And I learned so much about it. Um, and then um, I did three half Ironmans. Um, so all 70.3, mm -hmm. which is the distance in miles. But if yeah, you were to break that- Yeah, 3 miles is the distance for the 70, for the half Ironman. So yeah. if you were to break that down into kilometers, what yeah. would the distances be? Because we're Canadian. <laughs> we're crazy, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the 70.3 Ironman is 1.8 kilometer swim. So not much of, of a jump between the 
Olympic and the yeah. half Ironman swim. Swim wise. Yeah, yeah swim wise, yeah. not much difference. Yeah. Um, and then it's 90K bike. That one's the hardest one for me. Um, and then the, the half marathon run, the 21.1 kilometer, yeah. kilometer run. Isn't it interesting how any triathlete you talk to or any athlete you talk mm -hmm. to out of the three disciplines, swimming, mm -hmm. running, biking, there's always, it feels like everyone always has two strong things. Right. And then there's the one weakness. I, yeah. I feel like in my case, it's swimming. And I yeah, feel like yeah. That's common. That's common. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's very common. Yeah. But biking, yeah. usually that's the one discipline that people yeah. actually really do I well. I find in. like a lot of the triathletes that I've that I've known, a lot of them will come from a running or biking background, and that's what will get them into then triathlon. Like that's their stepping stone, and fewer of them will come from a swimming background. However, it still happens, right? Um, so I just was in this unique position where I was coming from a running and swimming background and that biking was the one I had to learn. So yeah, and swimming's very technical. So I felt very lucky that I already had some of that under my belt. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's fantastic. I just saw you at the pool yeah, last the week other day, at the, yeah. <laughs> the aquatic center as part of the, the 6am class. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's amazing to, to see that you're still putting in those, mm -hmm. those laps and that dedication to the water mm -hmm. after you found your your passion for mm -hmm. half Ironmans mm -hmm. and, and just triathlon in general, you had some pretty big plans mm -hmm. to compete. And mm -hmm. this was after that you moved out all the way out west to yeah. British Columbia, ended up mm -hmm. in Prince George with your husband, Tori, mm -hmm. and you had some plans, but then mm -hmm. an obstacle got, got in the way. Foiled. Yeah, so yeah. Let's, let's talk about that okay. because it, it's a, you, just looking at your story mm -hmm. and knowing that you're a cancer survivor who mm -hmm. blogged mm -hmm. about the entire experience. Like mm -hmm. you were the epitome of a well-trained athlete. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, mm -hmm. something happened during a run. Was it BMO? Was it the... Um, that was 2019. Okay. So yeah. And so I actually haven't raced Ironman or raced at all in my triathlon since 2016 was my last time I raced triathlon. So it's been over five years. Yeah, so it's it, the, the time has gotten away from us here because there's been many, you know, obstacles in the way. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, I actually like chose to step away from it for a year. Um, I had raced pretty hard for kind of three to four years and I was just like, you know what? We're gonna take a summer and we're gonna do some other things. We got a dog, we bought a house, yeah. you know, did some traveling. But also very smart then, to, yeah, you know, give the body take breaks. an off season, yeah. Yes, yeah. I thought I was being very smart. And then I thought like, okay, I'm gonna come back in 2018. So in 2018, my plan was to go back and do the Whistler Half Ironman, which you've done. Still, Correct. I still haven't yeah. done it yet. <laughs> yet is the yet. keyword, absolutely. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do it. <laughs> but I signed up for it in 2018. Um, and then at the end of 2017, at the end of that kind of break year, um, I started feeling very ill. Um, I was just like a little bit nauseous. And then I was experiencing some really awful bloating. So was this all the time? Or was it while yeah. performing athletic endeavors? Well, and I didn't stop training. Like, I wouldn't train to the extent that I would have trained in a in a competition year but, but still I still was maintaining a lot of my activity just because I like to train and most of my friends are people that I train with so I was yeah. still just doing sort of my regular stuff um no all the time like I started to feel bloated and it just it would never go away and it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse um so then at the very end of 2017 we discovered that I had a ovarian tumor on my left ovary um and then at the beginning of 2018 I think it was February 
Um, I went, had surgery here in Prince George, got that removed. Um, we discovered that it was benign at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I did my six weeks of bed rest. And then I think I didn't do any physical activity for maybe 10 weeks. And then once I did my bed rest and kind of recovered from my surgery, I went back to trying to live my life. I went back to work. I went back to slowly stepping back into training um, because I then deferred that 2018 Whistler race. I deferred it to 2019. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I was going to go back in 2019. Um, so then I kept training and then I went to go race the BMO half marathon in May 2019 in preparation for that race in 20, the summer of 2019. Yeah. And at that point when I went to the race, I, for all intents and purposes, I thought I was completely fine because I had been training, I had been fine, I was ready to race. I kind of was prepared to do pretty well. I wasn't sure if I was gonna do a PB, but I, at that point I was like, I'm coming back from surgery. I'm just happy to be here. Let's see what I can do. So you're motivated and feeling confident. I, yeah, and yeah. I was just pumped to be back, right? I was like, I've been through this experience. Let's go do this race. Even if I you know, don't do as well as I think I can do without what I experienced the year before, like I'm happy to be here. I was mm -hmm. just grateful for that. And I, um, I was on a really good pace. I was very proud of myself because I was like, oh man, like I'm not only here, but I'm doing pretty solid. Nice. And then in the second half, I like everything went downhill. I just started feeling nauseous, and I kind of crawled my way through the end of that race. And you still finished the 21.1 kilometers? Because I'm stubborn, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some people done. call it stubborn. I call it determined. Call nice. it what you want. I was not going to give up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I then was like really ill for a couple of days after that, um, which was not normal. So I went and got an ultrasound. And I got an ultrasound pretty quickly because of my history. They got mm -hmm. me in pretty fast. Um, and then they discovered I had a tumor on my other ovary. So that was pretty devastating because after what I'd been through the year before, I kind of thought like, this is behind me. Yeah. I put it behind me. I was ready to move on. Yeah, especially with that BMO half marathon probably being one of many goals that you laid totally. out for yourself, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just like the rug being fully pulled underneath me. And it was it was worse than the first time because after going through the experience and then rebuilding yourself back up and then having it again, I just kind of thought like, is this my life now? Like, when does this end? Yeah. You know, and then um, I had to end up going down to Vancouver for surgery for that because it was the second one. They just kind of wanted more specialty people working on it. Um, went down to Vancouver, got surgery, um, got basically everything taken out. Mm -hmm. So my one remaining ovary out, my uterus, my cervix, they took the appendix out as well because I made it very clear that I do not want to have surgery ever again. Yeah. So they just they took it all. Um, and in that surgery, they biopsied it, and that one ended up being cancerous. So, and the reason then they had to take everything else as well is because some of the cancer cells started to spread onto the uterus. Mm. Um, so that was a pretty like devastating thing to wake up to. Especially being so young, because you would have been yeah. around 27, I was 26? 20, I was 28. 28, so okay. So I was 26 on the first surgery would have been 28 by the time the second one came around. Because ovarian cancer, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. is very rare it for is. females 
under 40. Yes. So the actual, the average age for ovarian cancer is 63. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like usually after menopause, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's very hormonal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the type of tumor that I had, both of them, they're called mucinous tumors. Get a little scientific here, hmm. but it basically just means they're filled with mucus and they can get really, really big and they grow really rapidly. So, they so you can, caught yours in the early stages then? I and, did, but they were like the first one was huge, which is why I was feeling that bloating the first time yeah. because it had gotten so big, yeah. right? Like they told me it was the size of a football. Wow. Right? And because it's like squishy, it, it's just, it was pushing on my bladder. Yeah, and so my, frequent urination. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to the washroom like all the time. Yeah. I would get full really fast because mm. it was pushing on my stomach. Yeah. Um, I could never feel like I was not hungry because I could never, I would eat two bites and feel full, but I'm like still hungry. So essentially chronic discomfort. Oh yeah, it was Mm -hmm. awful. Um, And then, yeah, so we we, uh, got that diagnosis the day of my surgery. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to Prince George about a week later after being in the hospital for a little bit and pretty much went into chemo like right away when I got home. So that was at the, the BC Cancer Agency for the North? Yes. So, and that's a pretty new, I mean, the BC Cancer Agency for the North would have, what, opened in 2013? Yeah, uh, 2012, 2013. So not even a a decade old yet by the time that you were there. So, I mean, the good thing about that, and this is what people talk about all the time too, when I talk to cancer survivors who've been there before, but maybe had to do some treatment here and some treatment in Vancouver, just because we didn't always have these resources, Mm -hmm. that now we have these resources here. So I went to chemo once every 28 days and I could live at home, not have to go to Vancouver all the time. Like the amount of comfort that that could have given me versus having to go down to Vancouver for, or Kamloops or wherever was huge. And that's so critically imperative for, for you to bring up because mm-hmm. it wasn't long ago where mm-hmm. if you were living in the North, whether right. it's Prince George or any other Northern community, you are taking care of all the travel expenses and all the accommodation yeah. expenses it's, and all yeah. the hassle of getting down to Vancouver, getting treatment there exactly. every 28 days. Yeah. And you're basically on repeat doing that once a month. Yeah. The fact that you're able to do that in mm-hmm. your hometown, in yeah. your own backyard, it must have facilitated what was a very difficult process for yeah. sure. But even if it made it a little bit easier. Exactly. That's where we yeah. have to, I guess, find a, a bit of gratitude in a, a very, very difficult situation. When was it that you just decided that you wanted to blog mm-hmm. about your cancer experience mm-hmm. and, and the chemo and the mm-hmm. recovery mm-hmm. and and as a young athlete yourself, give hope to mm-hmm. other people that may be going through something mm-hmm. similar? Um, well, I had been doing the social media thing for a while. Um, I sort of started after my first surgery, kind of mostly to motivate myself, to like give myself like some like... I don't know, uh, accountability for like this recovery journey. And I just wanted to like, um, document it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would be fun to do it in that way to, share, to share it with people. Yeah. The goal orientated side of you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, um, so it sort of already was doing sort of the social media aspect of it mm-hmm. and, and having fun sharing and having fun connecting with people um, and then um, a follower of mine, I can, I wish I could remember who it was, I really don't remember, but someone who was already following me um, when I was continuing to share about my diagnosis and continuing to share about chemo and 
just the roadblocks and struggles and just everyday things that I was dealing with as a patient, mm-hmm. um, someone said to me, these posts, like I'm really enjoying reading them. I wish they were longer. And they said, have you ever considered blogging? And that was actually what gave me the idea. I was like, that's a really good idea. It's the light bulb yeah. going off. And I, just, I never thought about it. Um, and uh, so I just kind of, whatever topics, I was feeling were on my mind, I would take them and just turn them into a blog post. And then um, that's kind of how the blog was born. Um, And it's been really therapeutic because I just felt, because I started it around maybe around three, around four of my chemo. I was a current patient when I decided to start writing. And there's just a lot going on for you in those moments and a lot that you can't always figure out how to explain in a good way that like everyone's going to understand. And especially as a young cancer patient, because I would go talk to my friends and my friends were all fantastic. They listened to me. They, you know, they're supportive, but no one really gets it because I wouldn't want them to under, I wouldn't want them to get it because I don't want them to go through that as well. Mm. But it's not like you can, you know, you're in your 60s and a bunch of your friends are relating to your experience because they've also maybe been there themselves or had similar experiences to kind of relate to yours. They're all looking at it from the outside, not understanding what that could be like for you as a 28 year old, right? So. I just needed an outlet and that was a really good outlet for me to sit down and even just make sense of my feelings. You have so many feelings and things in your mind that are just making you angry and upset and you just like have to figure out how to process them. Rather than letting them bottle up too, right? Yeah, and just sitting down and just writing about something that I was feeling was a way for me to get it out. But then it was a way to get it out to the world and then people would connect with that. And at first it was for me, it was fully for me. And then people started messaging me and I got so many great messages of people connecting to it or just being inspired by it or learning something new. And I had um, kind of right near the beginning, maybe I was two or three blog posts in, I had someone message me and said, you know, my mom had a burden cancer when she was, um, you know, in her 50s or 60s. And, you know, now she's passed, not because of ovarian cancer, mm-hmm. but she's just passed of old age. And she said to me, she never told me anything. She never wanted to talk about it. She never wanted to talk about how she felt. She never wanted to talk about the experience. She never wanted to share anything with me. She just wouldn't open up. That just wasn't a strength that she had. And that could be normal for a lot of cancer 100%. Patients, right? Yeah. That's normal for anybody. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't like sharing their thoughts and feelings. It's a difficult conversation. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I felt like that was a strength that I had, something that I was good at, Mm -hmm. that I was good at articulating my feelings and making sense of them, even though it took writing them down to make sense of them sometimes. (laughs) But that was a strength that I had that sharing was something I was good at and it was something I was comfortable with. Yeah, which is exactly why I feel so many people, whether they may have been a former cancer patient themselves, current or not, just going through some hard times, resonated with what you're saying. Yeah, and and I just thought like, that just drove it home for me like, oh man, like I owe it to those people who won't or can't speak about this experience to speak about mine, to help other people understand, Mm -hmm. right? Because this person was like, 
I think I might have this little window now because of your words into maybe what my mom's experience could have been like, even though it would have been very different than mine. It's just this little glimpse of maybe what this person could have gone through because they didn't want to share it with her. Right. And then, but I feel like a lot of the things I write about are very specific to me, but a lot of people connect with them for very, very different reasons. Like they'll connect with them from a very different experience that they've had, but they'll, they'll be drawing lines to their own experiences from mine and from the words that I'm, I'm using to talk about my experience. So, so in terms of the response, did you have people not just from British Columbia, but from Mm -hmm. all areas that were reaching Mm -hmm. out that were reading your blog posts and, and letting you know how they felt about them? Like, Oh, totally. Yeah. Was this response right away or did it gradually build up? Uh, It's over time. Um, I already had a little bit of a following on Instagram and Instagram was helping me gain more eyes on my blog mm-hmm. that was kind of the main vehicle that got more people to my blog that's one of the positive powers of social media oh when you you're know spreading what? messaging like that there's a lot of negative to social media but if you're on social media being positive it's hugely positive because yeah. i have connected with and talked with and like met over online so many people that i never would have met And those people who have benefited from my story and my content, they never could have seen that without this vehicle that is social media, right? These people from all over the world. And we can connect and and help each other and support each other. And I can inspire them and they can inspire me. And, you know, like I never would have met these people otherwise. And it's hard to meet young cancer survivors in in Prince George, a town under 100,000, you know, but in the whole world there's a there's a lot of us yes there you is. know and, and we have ways of connecting so that's you know the positive for me of social media for sure and if you look at social media there's a lot of complaints about it right now there's totally a, there's a lot of covid fatigue there's mm-hmm. there's probably more politics on social media right now than there's ever been mm-hmm. and then there's this metaverse thing that who knows what that's going to involve yeah. but i i feel like it is what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly telling yourself that social media is full of negativity and it's a bad mm-hmm. place and it's drama or whatever, that's probably what you're going to find as sure. soon as you log in, right? Sure. But if you think about, say, the experience that you had mm-hmm. and knowing that there's beautiful way to beautiful ways to connect with other human mm-hmm. beings that would not have been possible without the existence of social media mm-hmm. or just thinking about the the numerous other positive aspects and characteristics of social media, then mm-hmm. that's probably what you're going to find. Right. But that's mindset too, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, and that's, that's the kind of mindset that, you know, as someone who's experienced really awful things in their life, mindset that you bring to everything else is the mindset you bring to your life. So like if you wake up in the morning and you're like, it's going to be an awful day, the set of cards I've had handed to me are the worst and I'm never going to get anywhere. Like I could have gone that route because Mm -hmm. the set of cards I was handed could have sent me in that direction. It would have been easier to go that route. It would have been easier to go that route. Right. You could just like live in the dumps and just, you know, be living in that world forever. But it, really sucks to live in that world. It mm-hmm. feels awful and it's not fun. It compounds a yeah. negative oh, situation. Oh, yeah. yeah. But like, or you can choose to have the mindset where you wake up every day and you're like, okay, I've got some hard things on my plate. How do I acknowledge them? How do I deal with them? How do I process them? And then how do I choose to have a mindset today that will serve me for a positive way? 
right? And like, that's why I choose to keep doing things that bring me joy, like exercise. And I choose to keep working because it brings me joy and I enjoy it. It's stressful and hard sometimes, but in the end, it adds positive to my life, right? And then I choose to be social and enjoy my friend group and, you know, like spread positivity in the world because I want that to come back to me too. And what we put out, we will get back. So if you approach anything with the right mindset, right, it could go either direction. You have to choose what direction you want it to go. And you approached chemotherapy with an incredibly powerful mindset, Mm -hmm. which is a very difficult task because not everyone can do that. So I'm just looking at dates here. Was it November 28th of Mm -hmm. 2018? that you went for your first chemo? Because I know you just did a two-year anniversary um, post. 2019, so yeah, 2019. that would have been my last day of chemo. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. did just do a post about that recently, yeah. but it had been two years since I finished. That's right. So Because this is this is a solid two two years of hair growth right here. <laughs> nice, well, the hair looks great. Looks, yeah, thank it you. It looks phenomenal. <laughs> what I find very inspiring mm-hmm. is the fact that you actually still trained during chemotherapy. Yeah, I mean, I mean have, yeah, oh yeah. There's your last, there's that post that you're talking about. Yeah, November 28th, 2019. 2019, Awesome job. Dates like that get burned into your head for sure. I'll never forget some of those ones. But, um, and I wouldn't, I mean, trained during chemo. I was active during chemo because when you're an athlete, I mean, training is very focused, right? Training has a goal to it. Training has maybe a little bit more purpose. During chemo, I just needed to be active. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing chemo they really encourage you to be active um just to help with recovery also just for mental and physical health Mm -hmm. right they really really encourage you um and but for some people that might be a walk around the block totally totally. you're on your bike you're in the pool (laughs) and you're going for jogs with friends and i mean those activities look very different than they do now and very different than they did before Mm -hmm. but those were the things that i wanted to do because that was my world right doing those things is who i am as a person so i couldn't stop doing them because i was already in this place where i was isolated and sitting around every day feeling awful so if i could get out for a 30 minute you know barely getting my feet off the ground run with my friend like that's that's what i would look forward to like all week yeah right because i'm like okay i get to go with my friend i get to hang out I get to go for a run, get the endorphins going, right? Get some fresh air. Like that is what was gonna bring joy to me that day. So, but yeah, like for a lot of cancer patients, they don't care what you do, right? They're like, go for a walk. Mm -hmm. You know, walk up and down the stairs if you don't wanna go outside. Go to the gym and walk on the treadmill. Like do anything, even like walk around your garden and pick the weeds. They're like, whatever moves your body is what they want you to do and it's good for your mind, good for your body, you know, and there's days after chemo when you really are down and out from the drugs where nothing much is gonna happen. And motivation's just not there? Well, motivation, but just physically you don't, you just feel awful, Mm -hmm. right? The drugs really, really make you feel awful, right? Even, and then then you're on like the steroids and then it's also like the, um, anti-nausea drugs that also don't make you feel good, but they help you from being less nauseous. Those but are something you don't hear much about. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, were you taking those readily or? Yeah. yeah. So like chemo has changed a lot, even in the last like 10 years. 
So they used to have this philosophy where they wanted you to get physically ill when you're doing chemo. And it's just, that's just what the chemo drugs make you do, right? But now they want to diminish discomfort as much as possible. So they'll take your chemo. If you did not take the anti-nausea drugs, you'd probably be getting sick a lot. So you hear about people getting sick on chemo. They don't want that anymore. Mm. So they'll give you anti-nausea drugs. And if you are getting sick, they'll tell you, they'll tell you like, tell us, because we just need to change your anti-nausea drugs so you're not getting sick. Like up the dosage or? Up the dosage, sure. Because they're like, they want you to keep food down. They want you to keep nutrition in your body because that's going to keep you strong, Mm -hmm. right? They don't want you getting sick and they want to keep you comfortable, right? You're already in so much discomfort. Why are we putting more discomfort on you by you getting sick every day? Yeah, So that makes sense. Yeah, so you're in, it's just a whole cocktail of all kinds of stuff that the pharmacists have to figure out for you and get them all lined up. So you're taking a lot of stuff. So when you were going in for chemo treatment, Mm -hmm. what would that look like? Would it be, from the the day you arrived, say for Mm -hmm. your first treatment, how long would you actually be at the BC Cancer Agency for the North? Like how long of a stay would each treatment be? Um, It would depend on the day because sometimes there's just different complications that get in the way each day. I had a bit of a longer treatment and every person would be different depending on the prognosis and how often they're coming back. Okay. Um, and you know, everyone has different chemo drugs. It's, you know, it's a big puzzle. Um, but I would go, like I said, once every 28 days and I would go, um, for about a whole day. I would be there from like eight in the morning to three or four in the afternoon. It was a full day. It was a full day for me. Long process. Yeah. It was a long process. Yeah. I had a couple different ones that I was doing and then before each different drug they have to flush you out with the saline and then they have to give you like um benadryl before Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a whole it's a whole process but honestly like this feels weird to say but i loved going there really like the chemo sucked it was awful but like the people who work there are just like such rays of sunshine that you walk in there and everyone is your best friend and they're all so nice and they all want to talk to you and hang out and like you get to know some of the nurses that will treat you and then they become your friend and then you know like it's just you kind of forget that why you're there I'm also a social person so I like talking to people (laughs) so like maybe people who are like are more introverted wouldn't feel that way but I'm very extroverted so I would come in just like chit chat with all the nurses and catch up and hang out and yeah you're like the ideal cancer patient (laughs) but you also like i feel like not enough people in prince george and northern british columbia recognize the world-renowned staff Mm. whether it's Mm -hmm. an oncologist Mm -hmm. like dr robert olson or whether it's dr stacy miller or our good friend james at the wheel it's like there's so many incredible professional healthcare staff oh, right totally. here like, I know world leading research right here in no Prince we're George so lucky North. well and and you know Dr. Rob is is leading a lot of that research yeah, too absolutely and, we're, yeah. we're so lucky to oh, have yeah. Dr. Olson in this city oh, like, I know. he could work I love that guy anywhere in this world <laughs> yeah. anywhere and he chooses Prince George Northern British Columbia yeah. as his destination yeah I, I want to talk about your time in Thunder Bay because mm-hmm. that's where you you did your master's um, well, I did my um, undergrad and then my teacher degree. Teacher degree. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why that comes up is because that's actually where Terry Fox ended his Marathon of Hope. Yeah. After yeah. 143 consecutive days yeah. of doing a marathon per day, mm-hmm. 42.2 kilometers in the Marathon of Hope. Yeah. And, and he stopped in Thunder Bay. Stopped in yeah. Thunder Bay. 
And the Have reason- Have you been to the monument there? I haven't been, okay. I've never been to Thunder Bay, oh, okay. but I'd love to, to be to that good. monument. I, I flew, I took a red eye to St. John's Newfoundland to Ooh, go to mile yeah. zero where he started. Yeah. And the statue there. And I've been to that one too, it's, it's good too. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, everyone leaves there in tears. It's very oh, emotional. Yeah. The reason why I think about this is because it not only did Terry Fox come to Prince George yeah. in 1979, September mm-hmm. 1979, uh, which he competed in the PG to Boston Marathon at the time, the mm-hmm. Labor Day Classic, mm-hmm. but also that this played a large role in his confidence to start the Marathon of Hope the mm-hmm. following year. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what also gave him the confidence is when he was in, I think, Royal Columbian Hospital in the okay. Lower Mainland of BC, it was when he was getting his leg amputated when he witnessed the other cancer patients, mm-hmm. a lot of them younger than him. He was 19, Because right. he would have been in the children's the yeah. like, ward as a, yeah. as a young man. And yeah. he said that as soon as he saw all the suffering and what these kids were going through, he said he was determined right then and there to do something about it, to mm-hmm. raise money. His original goal was a million dollars, then it went from a dollar yeah. for every Canadian, which was around 26 just million. Just kept growing. It just kept on going, but mm-hmm. it was, he in his biographies, there's many of them, he'd always refer to how he felt when he saw those other children suffering. Right. Did you, when you were going through your chemo and your cancer treatment, did you see other patients that motivated you in a way mm-hmm. to maybe express and articulate your thoughts more in the mm-hmm. blog or mm-hmm. or or even just help with with your own scenario with mm-hmm. your own situation um well first of all i i'm always very inspired by terry fox and as a teacher we talk about him every every september mm-hmm. and i do use it as an opportunity to share with my students what i've been through and let them ask questions and it's always a good experience because they always learn a lot and um but uh i just feel very inspired by him too because as a young cancer patient when I was in my 20s going through cancer and he was young 20s and to see that he chose what he chose to do like I choose to write about it he chose to run across the country like the courage I can't even imagine doing that that's such a huge undertaking is a very impressive guy um but I don't know if I really connected with many cancer patients when I was actually at the center and I think honestly the fact that I didn't motivated me as well Hmm. because I would chit chat with some of them sometimes but I would find that most of them were 30 40 50 years older than me and I never came across another person that I felt really like okay I can get this person and they can get me I just felt like you know these people in their 80s who are sitting beside me doing chemo and their grandchildren are visiting them and their grandchildren are older than me and I'm sitting there like, how do I connect with this person? And how do I understand where they're coming from in their experience? And how could they possibly understand what my experience is like? Because they're so different. Mm-hmm. And that's what inspired me too, because I was like, people need to know what this experience is like. Because if you understand it, you can help people better. And that was so like, part of it was selfish was like, I want people to understand my experience. Like there's some selfishness there too, but also it's like, I can't expect people to get it. That's that's an unrealistic expectation. So how can I help them understand? Yeah. So that was part of it too, but I actually did connect with a girl. Um, I don't know if you know Darcy. Um, she doesn't live in Prince George anymore. She lives in Salmon Arm. Um, she has a, a nutrition business. That's right. Yeah. She yes. has a very popular Instagram account as well. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. your pathway to happiness. Yeah, that's right. I was yeah. actually connected with her um, through some mutual friends 
and she's a cancer survivor. She had ovarian cancer when she was 21. Oh, wow. So also in her 20s, and I think she's around my age, yeah. um, 30, 31-ish now. So I connected with her, and I had a, we sat down, and we just instantly became friends. Yeah. Because we could connect yeah. about our experiences, yeah. being young women with the same kind of cancer, similar ages, and she... What a beacon of inspiration for you. Oh my God, just yeah. looking at her and saying like, here you are eight years out of cancer and just looking where she is now with that journey. But then, and I'm saying this because she's told me this, and, but um, that the fact that talking to me about my experience when I'm so in it almost kind of helped her retroactively like kind of deal with some of the things that she never maybe dealt with at that time because she didn't have someone to talk yeah. to. So she's like, I shut a lot of this away, and then now I have someone to talk to who understands it, and now we can kind of support each other, even though she's so far out of it. Yeah, so mutually that was, therapeutic. Yeah. yeah, so that was one person that I definitely connected with with that experience. There's times in life where like people were just meant to meet, and I feel like that yeah. exemplifies that. Perfectly. I feel like we would have been friends without the cancer because we have a lot of other things in yeah. common as well. Yeah. Um, but that was what brought us together. So it yeah. was a, a so good who facilitated bonding that. Did, did she reach out to you? Or? No, we just someone that I knew knew her as well, mm. and then they were like, "Oh, you gotta meet this girl," and she kind of this other person connected us. So yeah. then she, I just set up like a a coffee date with her, and we sat there I think for like four hours the first day, and we just instantly were like, "Oh my god!" Like yeah. then we just talked off. One of those conversations where you're like, "Did we just talk for four hours?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, are you my best friend now? Yeah, yeah. Become yeah, <laughs> best friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like looking back at your situation, I can only imagine what kind of emotional roller coaster you right. must be going through. And, you know, just to think that, like, were there times where you were scared if you were going to make it or not? Were there times where you thought, um, what if my health completely evaporates on me? Yeah. Um, sometimes. Sometimes when you're just feeling so not alive, you lose hope. Um, but that was just the mindset thing again like you have those dark moments you do yeah like it's it's hard not to it's you would be not human if you didn't have yeah. the dark moments do you think your athletic background played a role in helping oh, probably. with the the chemo treatment and the recovery yeah. just because you're in you're always in phenomenal shape mm -hmm. right and and even like the year leading up to to everything you're still competing mm -hmm. you're doing the bmo half marathon mm -hmm. in vancouver you're mm -hmm. you're still doing half marathons and mm -hmm. and training or at least being active every day mm -hmm. and i i think that that had to play a role in the recovery oh, a very totally. positive role the, the mindset of it yeah like just knowing that like okay if i have the right mindset and i choose to put in the work every day i can get there yeah right and just like having hope and having faith that it was going to be okay and having faith in my medical team that i was going to trust them that what they're doing is going to be the right thing right and it's hard to have that faith but definitely being an athlete helped me have those goal setting and the mindset skills and just the determination and the resilience you know, but then also maybe just having faith, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I teach at a Catholic school. I, 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 I am a Catholic person. Like, having that faith background too of just like knowing that you're gonna believe, and it's gonna pull you through, and whatever's gonna happen is the right thing that's gonna happen. And you know, it makes you angry sometimes too, though. Sometimes it it's has like, to. yeah. well, why me? Yeah. 
why did this happen to me? Why didn't this happen to somebody else? And But, I mean, you can go down that spiral all day and you're never going to find answers. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And, you know, there's a feeling of, of guilt for other people that are involved mm-hmm. in your life as well. Mm-hmm. I, if I were to look back at 2019, like, we were both supposed mm-hmm. to finish or compete in the Whistler mm-hmm. Half Ironman event on July 28th, 2019. And, and I, we didn't really know each other at the time. But I no. remember learning mm-hmm. about your story and, mm-hmm. and becoming extremely emotional myself, thinking, mm-hmm. like, how unfair is it for this this young athlete mm-hmm. to not be able to, to compete, not even be able to step on the start line mm-hmm. of the swim at, at Rainbow Park mm-hmm. in Alta Lake in Whistler. And I, I just remember like being so sad, thinking mm-hmm. how unfair it was that like I, there's a feeling of guilt that totally. I could go compete and there is an athlete who is stronger than me in every one of these triathlon disciplines that wasn't able to be there. Yeah. And that's why it was an honor for me to actually dedicate that Ironman. Yeah, to... I know. I didn't know you that well then. And yeah. that's why it was such a shock to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that was the, the Jillian 2020. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, I, you know, I, if I were to look back at that, that period of time, 2019, mm-hmm. and if we were to fast forward, mm-hmm. like not even, well, just over half a year right. after that that's when the the world pandemic hit. yes <laughs> and you probably have to think about that as well mm-hmm. in terms of like imagine when you first were diagnosed with ovarian mm-hmm. cancer and if you're going through starting your chemo treatment then in the middle of a global pandemic mm-hmm. when you're not allowed visitors mm-hmm. when hospital staff are being stretched to the limits and there's yeah. burnout and there's craziness and it's unpredictable what's mm-hmm. going to be the next step like imagine all that was happening when you were mm-hmm. first diagnosed? I can't imagine what it would be like, and it would be awful. And I and I did a blog post about that, actually, I think, like, in May of 2020, kind okay. of a couple, a couple months into the pandemic, Reference right? Reference in that. Just, like, you know, that cancer does not stop for COVID. Mm-hmm. And neither does any other medical treatment that's happening, which, you know, which is why it's so important that we get vaccinated and do all those things, because <laughs> there's people who... You know, there's hundreds of people, thousands of people diagnosed with cancer every day, right? I don't know the exact number, but, yeah. you know, those things aren't going to stop just because the hospitals are clogged, Yeah. right? That's still going to happen. So that's why the hospitals need to be open so that people who need that treatment can get it, Yeah. right? Because my cancer journey would be very different if it had happened a year later mm-hmm. and I don't want to think about what that would have been like because it was already awful so let's add another layer of you can't have your family and friends come visit you during chemo and you can't have people even come visit you in your house because they can't come in to visit you like cancer is already isolating so to have it being isolated even that more yeah. would have been so much harder yeah we just had a couple of episodes episodes ago we had Wes Mitchell and, mm-hmm. and Ivan Paquette on the podcast and these they're two great. gentlemen yeah, yeah they started their Monday night drumming healing sessions yes. when the pandemic first arrived mm-hmm. they went for 47 straight days every single night they're doing healing drum circles outside yeah. University Hospital of the North like that's almost seven weeks in a row of every night dedication yeah. and then after that 47 day period they switched to every Monday night they're every still night, going strong yeah. they're going tonight and they're at the hospital tonight doing their drumming ceremony and and i look at those guys as such community difference makers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we said it before in the podcast like citizens of the year for sure of 2021 (laughs) because 
they're still there giving people hope. Mm -hmm. And you see these these photos from them drumming outside the hospital with with cancer patients mm -hmm. or or COVID patients that mm -hmm. are in their window looking out. Right. Where they're not allowed visitors, yeah. and and it just it inspires hope and, oh, totally. and community and and love and mm -hmm. and what what humanity should look like right yeah. just people helping people mm -hmm. instead of everyone's going to have differences in life and everyone's going to believe in different things but at the end of the day all we can do is try to help each other yeah. right get through this crazy journey called life yeah yeah we're all people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and those those two guys are absolute heroes oh, to Wes yeah. and Ivan what they've done they're fantastic I yeah. want to switch gears here and talk okay. about the PG Roadrunners because yeah. you play a very, very yeah, active I'm role. Yeah, I'm the vice president at the PG Roadrunners. Yeah. VP, and how did you get involved? I know obviously you've always had a passion for running mm -hmm. athletics, but mm -hmm. did was it just a natural fit for you to join the um, organization? I started running with their kind of midweek group, maybe 2015, mm -hmm. and then the person who was organizing that group, um, they didn't want to do it anymore, um, so they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, sure. So nice. that was kind of my window into it. Yep. And I started organizing that midweek run, which is now my Wednesday run that I do from the Aquatic Center. Mm -hmm. um, and that first year, I think I would have started in 2016, that first year I started in the summer. And then normally they would stop in the wintertime. But I was like, I'm running anyways. I might as well just keep offering it. And if people stop coming, you know, maybe we'll stop for the winter. And what's the response been? It has not stopped yet. Good. So people kept kept coming that first winter, and I just kept going. So here we are, whatever, six years later, five years later, and we have not missed a Wednesday, unless when we had to shut down for a little bit for COVID, mm -hmm. and, and maybe a smoky forest fire day here and there. But, <laughs> but like, we, we've been going strong, and then we've added more group runs as options just you know as the club evolves and we just see different needs for different types of type of types of group runs and I honestly I've really enjoyed it because um, it just gives me an opportunity to meet new runners meet experienced runners meet everyone in between and and understand the running community who are these people what did what what are they looking for in the running community um, how do they need to be supported just helps me connect with the running community really well yeah so then when we're putting on events you know I kind of feel like I have my ear to the ground as far as what the community needs and who, who these people are yeah well so. looking at like the virtual run series mm -hmm. and are you running the social media channels because whoever's running the, the social channels is doing a great job the Prince George Roadrunners Instagram yeah yeah that's me okay awesome because <laughs> I, I see these posts I'm like this is yeah. good good content that's great me. stuff yeah <laughs> but, but what inspires me from the Roadrunners is that anybody can join you know it's, yes. it's not called the, the prince george elite roadrunners no, no, you, no. you get beginners yeah. and yeah. all walks of life people that maybe never ran more than a kilometer in their life totally. right and yeah. it must be exceptionally rewarding for you jillian mm -hmm. to be able to see somebody start out and yes. just watch them gradually and i've progress, seen a lot of right? people i've yeah. seen a lot of people and i see people who are now like our dedicated people that people look up to as like good runners mm -hmm. like i've seen them down here i've seen them come for the first time barely be able to run a kilometer and then them get better and better and better and better and better yeah. and then now they're my running partners right the people that i run with outside of run group right just people i run with because they're my friends yeah. and they just come so far but it's it's very rewarding to encourage people through a sport that you love, mm -hmm. right? Because I get to pass on that passion to these people and help them have running in their life and help running be a part of their life. 
and you know like and the Roadrunners Club has changed a lot since I first joined it and the main thing that we worked to change was the perception because I found that a lot of people weren't coming because they their perception of us was that we were all oh the Roadrunners they're too good for me I'm not good enough you know, it can be very intimidating. Totally. For, even and I, for I absolutely yeah. get that. And if they see someone, oh, that person's faster than me, they think that they don't fit in. Mm. So we worked really, really hard, definitely starting a couple of years ago, to change the language around how we talk about it and to make sure that we were trying to be inclusive and make sure people knew that, like, this is for everyone. There's a place for everybody. Yeah. You know, like, sure, I'm the leader of this group, but when you come to my run group, it's not about me. You know, my running goals for the day are non-existent because my running goals on those Wednesdays when I'm leading people is the needs of my participants. So if I need to run whatever pace I need to run to suit the need of who's shown up that day, you know, that's what I do. People apologize to me all the time. That's just leadership right there. Yeah, that mindset sure. though. Like, sure. like coming in with that mindset yeah. of adjusting pace and looking out for the group as a whole. Yeah, I just go where the need is because mm-hmm. people apologize to me all the time. Oh, I'm so sorry you have to run slow with me. I'm like, no. You're here. That's all that matters. You're the participant. I'm the leader. My goal is that you have a great run, mm-hmm. right? And I'm having a great run because I'm helping you. So that's all I care about. And that post right? run high, it must be nice. Yeah. Extra rewarding for you to see everyone else have totally. it. Where everyone's so happy after yeah. the run. And-, and you know what? Like leading a group where you get you can get people of every different pace and ability come to one run. Mm-hmm. We've definitely had some successes and failures in how to properly lead a group like that. Yeah. But me and my run group helpers over the years have definitely, we've we got a system now. We, we've had some, you know, learning experiences where we now we have a way where we can lead someone who comes who's barely started running and someone who's an experienced runner. And we can all, we all will run the same run and no one gets left behind. Everyone gets the run that they want, you know, but it definitely took some trial and error to figure out how to lead that properly. That's perfect. You know, yeah. if I were like go back to social media and, and look at the inspiration that I mm-hmm. find through say Instagram, a lot of it comes from my friends that are very active and sure. accomplishing goals and their their own discipline. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those people is Mattia with the Roadrunners mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Here's, yeah. here's an individual that just gives it her all. Mm-hmm. And when she is focused and has a goal set, like I, I, I would not want to get in the way of her <laughs> in that goal because her determination is just at a whole new yeah. level. She's, she's a very passionate lady. Very passionate. Yeah. And, and and very skilled mm-hmm. at what she does. Like her run times and her distances mm-hmm. and, and her consistency is, mm-hmm. you know, she's on her game. And it's really yeah. cool to see her want to pass that knowledge on to other people mm-hmm. as well through her volunteerism. But then like, you know, when you look at people who are doing really well and sharing that, that's sometimes what people find intimidating as well, mm, right? That, because yeah. they'll say, oh, well, you know, like so-and-so, they accomplished their goal, like, oh, I can't do that or I can't run that fast or like you know my goal isn't as fast as their goal so like I'm not a real runner or I'm not as good as them mm. you know and that's where mindset comes into play too because you can choose to see that as intimidating or you can choose to see that as they did it I can do it too right or like you can choose to see it as inspiring yeah right and I've had a lot of new runners say that they're very intimidated by say like Strava you know, because they don't want to see what other people are doing because then they'll compare themselves to others. Mm. What's that old quote? Is uh, comparison is the the joy of thieves? Oh, the, the thief, <laughs> yes, the thief, of, the, the thief of the joys. The thief of joy, I guess. Yeah, 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 the thief of joys. Yeah, totally, it is. Yeah. So, like, I can see that, we especially can, if you're injured. 
right. when you see people still active, accomplishing yeah. goals, that has to be tough. Was that hard for you? That was hard for me. Yeah. Would you try to say when you're going through chemo and recovery, would you not log into Strava? Just knowing oh, that no, I still you, would. you're okay with it going in and sure. And like, I think that being in that place gave me a new perspective of all that because I definitely sometimes struggled with that toxic relationship with pace and performance before mm. just always like I need to be better I need to be better I need to be better right but but why you know and I still want to push hard and I still want to be my best and I still want to improve but I think my relationship with growth and improvement is much healthier now because I've been in a place where I'm sitting there saying well I can't do anything right now and my friends get to go out and do their best and mm. I have to watch them and I it makes you feel really inadequate mm. right so then now I'm in a place where you have to choose to approach those things of seeing your friend doing really well or seeing your friend's pace or seeing your friend meeting your goal. You have to approach that in it being about them and not about being about you. Smart. That's a very smart mindset. Right. Because then it turns into encouragement and support yeah. as opposed to like, oh, I can't run that pace or I'm yeah. not as good as them. Right. I, I, one thing, I, I love Strata. It's actually my favorite form of social media because I feel... I enjoy it too. I get to cheer positive. on my friends. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you do have people that will post on Strata and they'll be like, oh, you know, it ran at 18K, but mm -hmm. it wasn't quite my fastest right. pace. And, you know, the last couple of kilometers were a struggle. And they'll focus on, like, a couple of the negatives. Exactly. But at the end of the day, you ran 18K. Yeah. Like, yeah. you could have just, you know, ate dinner and, yeah. and put on Netflix, but you ran yeah. 18K. Yeah. Who cares what the pace is? Who right. cares if it's not your best time ever or if you struggle But it's near you having to be at peace with that, too. Yeah. And I actually, I know a lot of people who say won't put their slow runs on Strava. They won't put their recovery runs on Strava because they don't want people to see their slow pace. Mm. So... And I'm like, no, 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 we need to put our slow runs all, or our yeah. recovery runs on Strava because if we're always putting our, just like our race paces or like our fast runs on Strava, mm -hmm. you know, cause we need to do all of those runs, yeah. right? Then it just like adds to the toxic, you know, environment that can be created there with comparing ourselves to others. But to be like, look, I ran a 5K and I ran it at this pace you know, and that's my slow recovery pace, then people might be more comfortable with like, well, I can put my slow recovery pace on there too because, you know, people aren't going to judge me. But, you know, you have to decide that that's the culture that we want on those platforms. I agree 100%. Right? Yeah. About 10 years ago in 2011, when I first moved back to mm -hmm. Prince George, I wrote down about 100 inspirational quotes mm -hmm. and I put them on my, at work, in the office, mm -hmm. in the, on the bathroom mirror, on the fridge, everywhere. Mm -hmm. A lot of those quotes have ended up in like the recycling bin or right. misplaced or whatever, but I still have a few. Mm. And one of them is still on my fridge and it's oh, a Will Smith quote and it says, yeah. life is about reading and running. Okay. And I always loved that quote from him from 10 years ago. And he actually just released an audio book, well, oh, okay. a physical book as well, mm -hmm. uh, about his autobiography. Mm. And he references that quote. And he said, when I talk about running, mm. I'm not just talking about running, I'm talking about all exercise. Mm. And when I talk about reading, I'm not just talking about sitting down a, and reading a book, mm. I'm talking about all education. Mm. And so moving and learning. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and I, I, yeah. I resonated with that, and I still do to this day, and mm. I still have it up in my fridge is because I do firmly believe that every day you should dedicate some time to exercising your body mm -hmm. and your mind mm -hmm. in a variety of, of different aspects as mm -hmm. well. And 
that I, I call it a life hack and I tell <laughs> as many people as I can as possible, but like listening to audiobooks mm. while you're running yeah, or lifting weights at the gym two or birds, commuting. Two birds, <laughs> two birds, one stone. And, yeah. and I, I, it's amazing. Like mm-hmm. it takes a while. Some people need that music and that, mm-hmm. that, that RPM, that, that, or mm-hmm. BPM to, to, to pump them up. Mm-hmm. It takes an adjustment to switch over to an audiobook mm-hmm. or something educational, but the feeling that you get, if you go lift weights for an hour and, and you, you, you pump your mind full mm-hmm. of information about a topic, any topic, mm-hmm. you feel brilliant afterwards because you just worked out your body, you just b- mm-hmm. worked out your mind simultaneously, and the ramifications are 100% positive mm-hmm. from that. So I always love mm-hmm. that quote. Well, and, and like a lot of people will say, you know, they, we tell these lies to ourselves, right? Like I don't have enough time or like I don't know where to start or all that stuff. But like if you just pick like one thing every so often to like add to your life, those little things can make big differences, right? Mm-hmm. You're already going for a dog walk by yourself. Like, yeah, pop in your headphones, listen to something that's going to inspire you or motivate you or yeah. or learn something or you know, what's one little thing you can add to your life that will add more education or, or more exercise or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, because if you want to do something, like, you'll make it happen. So if you're making excuses, then maybe you don't really want to do it. That's true. And I think <laughs> if there's one thing that anybody should add to their life, mm-hmm. and including Andrew back here, <laughs> is to research the wheel and warriors of the <laughs> And consider joining that yeah, team. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> because they've played a large role in your life for the past couple of years. Yes. Did you decide to join the Wheel and Wars of the North prior to or um, after? My husband your and I had talked about it for a while because mm-hmm. we had seen them around and we were already both cyclists and yeah. we were already thinking about it. That's we why just, I wasn't sure because you already had the cycling back. Yeah, so. yeah. We we had, we had talked about it. We just like didn't actually bite the bullet and do it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm very goal oriented with my races and I will always pick races to do every year and all that. And um, I was always encouraging him to do that yeah. or or something like you know, what's your goal or what's a race you want to do or an event you want to do. You guys make a great training (laughs) couple. Like for sure, the motivation you give each other to train and just to be active. I'm way more intense than he is and he would tell you that too. But like, (laughs) But Tori's quite the athlete. He is. He he will sell himself short, but he's good. (laughs) But, um, you know, and then uh, I think I was sitting in chemo one day and he said to me like, I've picked my event. I know what I'm going to do. And he's like, we're going to do the ride to conquer cancer. He's like, that's what's important to me. That's what I want to do. He's like, you know, do you want to do it with me? Nice. Yeah, obviously. We still haven't actually done the in-person one because we registered registered for the Wheel and Warriors and the the ride to conquer cancer at the end of 2019. Okay. So I was in the middle of chemo and Karen Pichet and James came and visited me one day at chemo to welcome us to the team. Nice. Oh, they're fantastic. They're just like, um, sign here. Yeah, yeah. No, she (laughs) brought me a card. Oh, so nice. They're the best, yeah. Um, And uh, and then Debbie was one of my nurses. Oh, no way. Yeah, so that's kind of how we found about it too because she's like, oh, you cycle? Have you ever considered this? And actually, we're thinking about it. And And she's such a badass on the bike. Oh, she's hard to keep up with. Yeah. She's a powerhouse. And yeah. she'll like power up the hills with like uh, like a high gear too. And you're like, oh my God, the strength in her legs. She is Impressive. a machine. Yeah. But um, so then we were going to do our first ride to conquer cancer in 2020. 2020. And then that one didn't happen. 
and then um, we did the virtual one in 2021. That's right. You yeah. did it in Jasper? Is yeah. That right? Nice. Because I was actually going to be away that week that you did. Mm-hmm. The Willing Warriors did it in Prince George. Yeah. So then Tori and I went to Jasper just together to, to go cycling yeah. in the summer a couple weeks before that. So then we did our 100K in Jasper. And then Tori also did the 100K with you guys on the day that you yeah. did it in Prince George too. But nice. he, yeah. yeah, he doubled up. Yeah, he did it twice. I mean, if you're going to do the virtual tour de cure anywhere, you might as well do Jasper. It was right awesome. in the Rocky Mountains. It was awesome. Some of the most yeah. beautiful scenery. At 70K, in the world. we stopped at AW, got some fries, oh, and then kept yeah. going. <laughs> yeah, load up on those cars. Yeah, it was yeah. super fun. It was super fun. But yeah, it's uh, the Willen Warriors are a powerful, powerfully positive group because, oh, yeah. like, instantly from joining, you just felt a part of this crazy, supportive family. And I remember one day I was in the cancer center um, and I ran into James. And I hadn't met him at this point, but I had just registered for the team. And mm-hmm. he came up to me. He's like, are you Jillian? I'm James. Like, welcome to the team. And he said, like, you know, now that you're on the team, like, now we're family. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? He is the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Just yeah. like, you're on the team now. We're family now. Just a, a beautiful human Yeah, he's being. like, you need something? Yeah. Let me know. He's yeah. like, I work here. You know, if you're ever here and need something, tell me. Who is this angel? <laughs> are you, are you yeah. real? Yeah. <laughs> Am I dreaming I right now? You? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just this lovely collection of motivated people who want to go out and do activity, but they also want to do it for a cause. Yeah. You know, and then we're yeah. out there having fun and supporting each other and being active, but then we're raising money for, you know, the BC Cancer Foundation. Yeah. And Which is close to your heart. I of course. just feel like I've gotten so much from them. I all I want to do is give back to them, yeah. and and that's why you've already started your fundraising for 2022. I, I see. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I have. Yeah, you're yeah. in the, the top ten, and I always tell people, I say, mm-hmm. if you want a hundred new friends who are all yes. positive, uplifting, yeah, join people, the Wheel and Warriors. Join the Wheel and Warriors of the North. Yeah, it's the most supportive group yes. imaginable. And Everyone's not got each everybody other back. who joins already knows how to bike. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I came into it with a cycling background, right? But a lot of the people that come into it, they don't already cycle. Yeah. You know, but, you know, people like Ron, like they have all that prepared. They'll take people out and teach them and they have special days where they take people out and you know, slowly build up the distances so people can learn. Yeah, and Ron's right. story was similar. He hadn't been yeah. on a bike for decades, right. and he gets on a bike, and and now he's one of the most oh accomplished veteran riders in the country. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. But he wants people to learn too, yeah. which which also like shows you that like, oh, just because I'm not as fast as Ron doesn't mean I can't ride with Ron. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like because he wants you to learn and he wants you to enjoy yourself, so he's gonna get out there with you and help you learn. So you're gonna enjoy yourself and like, you know, don't be intimidated by riding with people like that because they're there for you. Exactly. And people can be intimidated by the ride itself or the obligation to raise $2,500 to the BC Cancer Foundation. That can be intimidating. And and definitely people are turned turned away by that as well. But definitely the group fundraising helps with that as well. If you go do some of the like group fundraising things that, 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 Karen and, and Ron and they, they set up very well organized. That that helps that yeah. helps a lot because it's people, not all on your shoulders. And, and people surprise themselves. They'll put out a, a post on social media being yes. like, "Hey everybody, I'm a part of this Wheel and Wars of the yeah. North team fundraising for the BC Cancer Foundation." Yeah. All of a sudden, they just get inundated with donations from yes. people they may not have even talked to for years yeah. and years and years. So people will surprise themselves both with the physical component yeah. of the bike ride as well as the the fundraising. Mm-hmm. But what I love it's it's the old saying is. 
it's all about the, the journey, not the destination. Mm -hmm. Like the, the last ride that we're all training for is fantastic. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful event. But to me, the most rewarding experience of being part of the Wheel and Warriors of the North are all those training mm -hmm. rides and all those fundraisers, the camaraderie, and, yeah. getting to know people from different walks of mm -hmm. life and like the feeling of community. You just mm -hmm. can't beat that. So anybody who's listening and watching this podcast, join the Wheel and Warriors yeah. of the North. It will change <laughs> your life yeah. for the better forever. Yeah. And also the fact that all the money raised with Wheel and Warriors mm -hmm. in the North stays in Prince George. Yeah, it, you know what? That's huge because we have the Northern Center. Mm -hmm. And like, I think a lot of people also think like, oh, all the money I'm going to raise, it's all going to go to Victoria or Vancouver, which I mean, those people need help too. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. just knowing that like, it's going to go to people who are getting treated in Prince George, Yeah. you know, and that is really big for our community. And that's a really big, like motivation for people to join too. But yeah, like last or this year, I guess, 2021, it's still 2021, <laughs> um, uh, for my 30th birthday in March, when I was raising money for the 2021 virtual mm -hmm. ride, I put my Wheel and Warriors like out to social media and I said, I'm running 30 kilometers for my 30th birthday. And I'd never run 30 kilometers before. It's my first time doing that nice. far. Yeah. And I was like, I'm running 30 kilometers for my 30th birthday. All I want for my birthday is to raise money for my Wheel and Warriors account to go to BC Cancer Foundation. I raised $2,000 that week. Wow. For people giving me money to run 30 kilometers for my birthday. That Unreal. was like the, that was like the where most of my my fundraising came from last year was me saying I'm doing this Unreal. run donate to my Will and Warriors yeah you almost raised as much money as calories burned oh, people came out of the woodworks <laughs> I know like it was amazing that was so but, cool yeah so I just want to go back and ask a couple more questions yeah. about the chemo okay. because I I do feel that it's inspiring and motivational motivational to people mm -hmm. that might just be starting their battle sure, that might just totally. be starting their journey mm -hmm. so I, I, a question i have is mm -hmm. if you were to look back and talk to the jillian mm -hmm. that was just mm -hmm. about to start her first yeah. dose of chemotherapy what would you tell her um i think i would say like you know it gets better like yeah, this will end, right? Because I think that sometimes when you're in those really, really hard situations, you feel like that's going to be your life for the rest of your life. You can't look past that and, and imagine that your life will be differently than it is in that moment because that moment is so, like, all-consuming and it just brings you down so much. It's hard to imagine a time where that's not your life. Hmm. So... You know, now that I'm two years out of being done chemo and my life is what I would want it to be for all intensive purposes, like, it does get better, it does end, you will be okay, right? Yeah. You know, so that's just hard to see in those moments. Very hard to see. Right, yeah. which absolutely makes sense, yeah. but... You yeah. also have a very, to, to me, I, I found it powerful, but mm -hmm. you, in your blog, mm -hmm. and I don't know if it was two blog posts ago or the okay. most recent one, but you wanted to differentiate between moving forward. Mm, that was and, the one I posted last night. Yeah. And moving on. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Because yes. to me, I would have probably been one of the people 
saying mm -hmm. like, now you're gonna move on mm -hmm. from this. It's behind mm -hmm. you. How are you gonna move on? Mm -hmm. But you wanted to emphasize the importance of moving forward. Yes. Not exactly moving on. Can you elaborate that? Yeah, that's a really important distinction to me, and I think it it resonates a lot with people of who've experienced many different traumas. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, say you've even experienced a grief or the loss of a loved one, which many people have experienced, um, you don't want to forget that person, right? Like, I don't want to forget that I had cancer and that I had this really dark, difficult time. Because that time for me was extremely transformative. And it taught me a lot of lessons. And I am 100% a different person because of it, right? However, I've suffered a lot of trauma because of that, you know, and a lot of loss and grief. You know, one of the main loss and grief things I've experienced in my life is fertility, right? At 28 years old, I had a full hysterectomy. I will never have a biological child. I will never carry a child, you know, and that's a huge grief for me and my husband that we are still dealing with, right? So I can't forget that those pains exist in my life because I approach those pains and those traumas almost every day. So if I move on from those experiences and those traumas, I'm doing a disservice to the things that I've conquered and the things that I'm still conquering every day, right? And I'm shoving aside the things that I need to approach and acknowledge and deal with. Mm -hmm. I don't want to shove them down and move on from them. They're a part of me and they're never not going to be a part of me. So I need to figure out a way to wake up every day and say, these things are here. They're present for me. I'm feeling them. I can't pretend like I'm not. So how do I acknowledge them, let them do what they need to do and have those feelings, but then also, again, choose the mindset that's going to serve me today be open about how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling, you know what, I'm really feeling sad about blank. Talk about it. Tell people in my life that will listen, you know, and then move forward with the positive lessons and transformative experiences that now make me the person that I can be. And I can't be this person without all these things I've experienced. They've made me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I can't move on from it. It's going to cancer will be a part of my life for the rest of my life. And I can't pretend that it's not. So that's, you know, that's the difference between moving on, which is shoving it aside and not talking about it and moving forward and carrying those things with you every day. Like you would carry a loved one who you've lost. You know, you're going to remember them. You're going to do honor to them and you're going to carry with them with you every day. You're going to move forward with the grief and the pain and then figure out how to process it and then figure out how to be the best person you can be every day. Yeah. That's a great answer. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about these things a lot. <laughs> so moving forward. Yeah, yeah. What's next for Jillian? What are some of your future goals? What's yeah. what's on the agenda in the future? What do you have planned? Um, just continuing to grow emotionally and mentally, you know, um, continuing to go to therapy to learn better ways to process the things I've been through in my trauma. I mean, it's been a really key component to how I've learned to deal with things is going to a therapist because, you know, they have the tools. 
I think everyone should go to therapy. Oh I'm my just God. saying that right now. If you have access to mental health services, because they're expensive and I get that, mm-hmm. but if you have access to it, everyone needs to go there. Even if you don't think you have something to work through, everybody's got something to work through. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Under, I don't understand why it's so stigmatized. Like if a couple yeah. or individual is going to therapy, it's like, yeah. how did you screw up? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, what did you what wrong? wrong? What's the but issue? Like, yeah. Why not have proactive therapy? You know, oh, like 100%. there might be some things that are bothering you that you didn't even know. But totally. it all starts, like I've you mentioned, had some to talk days about it. Even, you know, where I've been going to therapy after cancer and I've had some days where I'm like, I don't feel like I have much to talk about today. Oh man, they always bring in something out of you. And it just pours out. <laughs> they know the right things to ask, and you're like, oh, I did have something on my mind. I didn't even know I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, oh, I cannot say enough good things about it. But they, if we talk about it, then more people will be not scared to go, and then more people will go, and then it'll be less stigmatized, right? Exactly. It I, starts with us talking about it. I, some yeah. of my best friends go to therapy as a proactive solution. Totally. And they say, I go to therapy proactively so I don't need to go when something horrific right. happens and then I'm at a loss and yeah. I'm trying to catch up. Oh, like, proactive is always better than reactive in, in, in every situation. Yeah. But yeah, continuing to work on myself, continuing to grow, um, continuing to enjoy my training and have fun with it and strike a balance between pushing myself and having fun with it, right? Because <laughs> there, there's important. a balance there. There's yeah. a balance there. Um, and just looking forward to hopefully racing again when I feel physically comfortable, but I also feel comfortable with the world in going back to races because I'm not super comfortable with it yet, Yeah. but soon. Well, look out, triathletes yeah. listening and watching because yeah. Jillian's coming <laughs> for you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and just, um, enjoying my family life mm-hmm. and my husband and my pets and yeah. Yeah. Well, Jillian, I think you're an amazing role model oh, for thanks. so many and whether it's the students you're teaching, mm-hmm. your fellow Wheel and Warriors of the North teammates, mm-hmm. the PG Roadrunners, or just mm-hmm. the community in general, you've inspired so many people, myself oh, included. Thank you. And you know, the strength and the resilience that you've shown has just been tremendous. And uh, so I want to thank you oh, for thanks. that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to finish with a question that we ask oh. all of our guests. Okay. You're number 30. I've listened to your podcast, so I think I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're, you might have some preparation. Oh, this, gosh, okay. This question actually stumps a lot of people. Okay. So if you were to have a conversation with any Canadian in history, yeah. alive or dead, somebody that could be from any industry or walk of life mm-hmm. or an athlete, a comedian, a scientist, mm-hmm. whoever just any Canadian, mm-hmm. who would that Canadian be and why? Well, I think this is probably a common answer, but we talked about him already, but probably Terry Fox. Nice. <laughs> I just feel very connected to his, his story and his experiences. And his story makes me feel very thankful to live in Canada. And I know he's Canadian too, but like to have the healthcare that we have, to have the social programs that we have to have all those things that we have that you know we don't have to pay out of pocket because i'm thankful for that every day and just knowing more about his personal experiences with cancer and just knowing more about his personal experiences with you know what he ended up doing with it you know because like i said like i chose to take my experience and write about it to help people and what he chose to do with his experiences was just so huge and brave 
And I could not imagine having made that choice. It would have been absolutely terrifying. And I'm just so impressed with him all the time. Just how young he was, what he ended up doing, and the legacy that he created. Um, and just how we are still talking about him, and we're still running for him, and we're still raising money for his foundation. It's just such a proud Canadian moment that I would just want to know more about him. And yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Terry Fox is the most common you think answer so? yeah. that we have to that question, <laughs> but not once have we had such an elaborate, okay. <laughs> thoughtful explanation why. I and, think about him often. You know, so do I, yeah. because he yeah. is the personification of the old quote that life is about 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you react. Yes, yes. And yes, you, my friend, yeah, yeah. are reacting extraordinarily <laughs> oh, well to you. anything that comes your way. Thank you. So I'm expecting big things from you in the future, <laughs> and I can't wait. Me too. <laughs> Jillian, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> awesome conversation. Really appreciate yeah. it. Andrew, hit the Studio 720.